The Marching Roundtable is proud to be an official media partner of Drum Corps International and Music for All. Policy has to be driven by culture and not vice versa. You can't create policy without any values backing it up. You can create a rule for everything under the sun, and there's always going to come be something that comes up that's not in your rule book, that's not in your policy book, and it's you know you can have a 200-page document and and not be able to cover it all. But the question is, does it fit the cultural values that you have that you expect from your program, from your staff, from your students? And if the answer to that is no then we don't do that. That's Dr. Christopher Hoke, the director of the Ohio State University Marching Band, talking about building the values and culture of the marching band program. This conversation is full of practical information and concepts that you can use right away, including describing the process of deciding what the core values of the program would be. Tell me who you want to be. Who do we want to be seen as, as the Ohio State University Marching Band? What do we want the world at large to look at the Ohio State Marching Band and say, this, this word or these two words define them? So our students in that conversation came up with, I don't know, probably 40 or 50 words, expressions, everything from performance-related things, the best performers on the planet, or we want to be the most respectful people uh, in our community. We want, to, we want to give back to our community. We want to serve other people. We want to be seen as the best at what we do, the best musicians, the best marchers that we can do. All of these things are things that the students kind of kind of came up with. And after that meeting, I kind of took all of those things that they came up with and boiled them down into three distinct categories, three core values that we still teach within our organization today. As we all know, the lessons our students learn are applicable to more than just their time in the band. I've had squad leaders in, in the program go out into every walk of life and come back and tell me stories about how, you know, in their own business, in their own job, they were asked to be a part of a culture reassessment where they were able to say, hey, here's how we did it in band. <laughs> it applies not just to band, but it applies to life in general. Showing extraordinary respect is better than the alternative, hopefully, in you know, in life in general. So to have students come back from actually um, being in the real world and, and doing all of the jobs that they have, have prepared for during their college careers and having them say, hey, band help me in this way is, is certainly rewarding as well. Thank you to LCL Mentors, found at lclmentors.com, for sponsoring this podcast conversation. Members at Marching Arts Education can watch the video version of this conversation on the original webinar presentation. There's a link to that video where this podcast is located at the Marching Roundtable. Building the Band Culture at Ohio State on the Marching Roundtable. This podcast is sponsored by LCL Mentors, found at lclmentors.com. Gary Rupert is here from LCL Mentors. Gary, can you tell us about the mission and the work that LCL Mentors is doing? Absolutely, thank you for asking. LCL is a network of music educators across the country. Well, actually, not all music educators. We have other educators as well that are strewn across the country. And our mission is to kind of fill the gaps for music programs at both the collegiate level and at the public school, private school level where they are needed. We have people that have expertise in a variety of different ways. And the great thing about it is that if we're working with a group and they need something, then 
I know a person who knows a person who knows a person, and we can connect them with the people that they need that can help them out. We actually offer services at a variety of different levels. We do student leadership programs for all the bands. We do staff development programs. We also do one-on-one -on -one mentoring for school systems where we are mentoring teachers through the course of the year during a time when they need the most support and help. Dr. John Franklin and Gary Rupert are here from LCO Mentors talking with uh, Dr. Christopher Hoke, the director of the Ohio State University Marching Band. So John, take it away. Sure, yeah. You know, maybe uh, why don't we, uh, Chris, maybe talk a little bit about, you know, what what is this? When I talk about values and culture and, uh, you know, goals-based culture, explain that and maybe how that's different than what is the opposite of that, so to speak. Yeah, so you're, the culture of your program, the culture of any organization, it is the things that you as a group value. Um, the collective things that are most important to you, um, whether it's operationally on a day-to-day -day basis or whether it's it's the goals that you that you set for you know long term. So for us, when we talk about the culture of our program, we talk about the values that we as a staff and that our students all share in. Um, and those can be anything from um, performance-driven values, uh, what we value in terms of how we perform, and those uh, certainly can can include. Um, the things that we believe in and how we act, how we behave, how we, um, how we present ourselves to our community, um, to our state, to the nation at large. So the, the culture of your program is the values that you have, the things that you, that, that you value most uh, in, in what you do every day. Cool. You know, so when we talk about values, you know, that, there's a, sort of the implication that it's, it's got to be a collective thing. You know that that it's it's one thing, and and I know for me early in my career, I always felt this um, tension between here's the values that I believe are important for my organization, but and you know you might get uh, a certain percentage of students who buy into that. You know I talk a lot about you know the the so-called beacons of your organization, those like the ones who are like I'm gonna I'm I'm with you, Captain. You know that kind of thing, right? Uh, and then you've got you know the other side of that who for whatever reason maybe you're just not the person they like or they don't agree. With with something or whatever the case may be that sort of pull against that and so you know when, when you're when you're trying to establish a a certain culture for an entire organization how do you go about and this this is a question for both of you gentlemen how do you go about um, sort of finding that that happy medium so where you're getting everybody on board with that even the ones that are the most negative towards change or whatever yeah so you're absolutely right you know we we have the same thing in our organization um you know you're, you're going to always have those people who are who are with you no matter what yeah. and those are those are going to be those that are carrying the flag that are that are leading your organization those are the people that you're going to be able to turn to no matter what the situation no, no matter how tough things get and then you're going to have those people that are going to fight you no matter what you do and it's it's the folks in the middle the vast majority of people that you're really trying to that you're really trying to sway and go after and you, you mentioned john just briefly when you were um when you were introducing this question um it, it is all about student buy-in it's all about not just student buy-in but staff buy-in as well you know i can present a culture uh, you know here's what i believe we should value as an organization but if, if my own staff doesn't care about those things, then trying to get the students to care about those things isn't going to work. So it's, it's, a, it's, a total, it's a total package. You have to have everybody on board on the leadership team. You have to have your student leaders on board. And then through them, you have to get the rest of your, the rest of your students on board. So when you ask how we 
go about that process, how we went about this this process. Um, it actually started for us about eight years ago, back in 2015. Um, we had, you know, there, there was, there's always been a good performance culture at Ohio State. There's always been some some very good things going on here at Ohio State. We have a tradition that goes back, uh, goodness, 146 years now um, at Ohio State through the through the marching band. Um, but there were some things that that uh, that needed to change. And as as you guys know, sometimes when things have been going on a certain way for for many many years, it's difficult to change. It's difficult for people to change their mindsets. It's difficult for people to to try new experiences um, or do things in, in a way that that they did not experience before. So that was what it was all about. And when we had this conversation in 2015, we started with the students. Um, I remember having a having an hour long meeting um, with the entire student population of our of our organization, and just putting the question to them um, in in one or two words. Tell me what who you want to be, who do we want to be seen as, as the Ohio State University Marching Band? What do we want the world at large to look at the Ohio State Marching Band and say, this, this word or these two words define them? So our students in that conversation came up with, I don't know, probably 40 or 50 words, expressions, things, um, everything, from, um, everything from performance related uh, things, the best performers on the planet, uh, or um, we want to be the most respectful people uh, in our community. We want to we want to give back to our community. We want to serve uh, other people. We want to um, we want to be seen as uh, seen as the best at what we do. The best uh, the best musicians, the best marchers that we can be. All of these things are things that the students kind of kind of came up with. And after that meeting, I kind of took all of those things that they came up with and boiled them down into three distinct categories, three core values that we still teach within our organization today. Um, it's the very first thing we start off once we name the band in August. And it's it's the very the very last thing that our squad leaders, as they're doing their exit interviews uh, after, after their year is done, their final year in band is done, one of the very last things we talked about is, is those three core values. The, and basically all of the expressions, all of the words that our students came up with fit into one of these categories. So we came up with the first core value as a tradition of performance excellence. We want to be um, at the top of our game in every performance that we give. Um, the second core value is we want to we want to be known to show extraordinary respect in every situation. That is respect for each other within the organization. That's respect for our alumni, respect for our fans, respect for other people's fans, which sometimes can be difficult. <laughs> um, respect for th those that uh, um, that we encounter in in every walk of life. Uh, we want to be seen as the most respectful organization that, that we can be. And then the final thing is an attitude of gratitude, having an attitude of gratitude for, for all of the opportunities that we at The Ohio State University are given. In so many ways, we're very blessed um, to, to have the opportunities that we have. And our students, we expect them to show, uh, to show gratitude for that. And how do you do that? Well, it's not only, you know, something as simple as a thank you when somebody hands you a meal, but it, it could be that or or um, being polite, respectful to the uh, to the folks that um, are at the hotels, at the eating venues, at the stadiums that we that we encounter uh, whenever we travel, um, and it can be giving back to our community is another way to show that gratitude. Um, so we want to make sure that we're that we're active in our in our community and and giving back whenever possible. So those three core values: um, traditional performance excellence, extraordinary respect, and showing an attitude of gratitude are the three things that we teach. Um, from day one, and we continue to reinforce uh, throughout throughout the year. 
So those three things kind of set up the core of our, of our culture. And then everything else that we do, all of the behaviors that we expect from our students, all of the outcomes that we expect through the work that we do, they, they flow right from those, those three core things. <laughs> so in a way, it kind of seems like, uh, you know, you have these values, these three things, it's sort of an umbrella, right? And then mm -hmm. the, that's like every decision, every, every from, from major decisions to like, what am I going to do about going to rehearsal, ostensibly, you know, when you have this sort of culture of this values-based thing, that's, that's the filter for everything. That's sort of the litmus test, you know, on that yeah. too. You know, Gary, you're going to share what we're going to uh, offer there. Well, you know, you won't be surprised that the, the system that I use is very much like the system that Chris uses at, at Ohio State. Um, I think perhaps the one difference is that with dealing with high school kids, they need more direction than maybe a college student would need in terms of doing that. But we, we follow the similar kind of path. Um, I had to take my program from being outcome-based because – most kids look at things in, in society and it's all about who wins the trophy, you know, it's outcome based. And what they didn't understand was that that's a natural consequence of something that you do that precedes it. And so the outcome is the what, that's what we want our students to be able to know and do at the end of a, a term, at the end of a season, at the end of a school year, whatever. Um, and I needed to get them to think about the why and the how. And, and so um, we start, we always start with the why. And we did a very similar thing to what Chris was talking about. Um, I would sit down with my section leaders and we did the same process. We asked them to come up with, with three things uh, individually that they thought that they wanted the band to stand for. We came up with a large uh, group of things and then we ultimately whittled it down. Uh, we used a thing called tournament setting, which is very much like an athletic tournament. You take, uh, I, I asked them in smaller groups to whittle it down more. So let's say we came up with eight. So we had eight entries, and then they look at eight and seven playing against each other, and which one is the stronger one, which one do they think we, you know, that they want to do, and then that moves on in the tournament, and then ultimately you come down with you know, the last two or three. And it's a kind of a fun way to do it for them. Right? The next part of that, and I think here's where the, the teaching part becomes more critical at the high school level perhaps, um, we talked about values determine behaviors. So actually stolen from um, the – above the line book um, that Urban Meyer wrote, we mm. do the above the line and below the line. What do those behaviors look like? And what do they look like in all kinds of settings? So we talk about, you know, what does respect, you know, extraordinary respect look like in rehearsal? Mm. What does extraordinary respect look like in the classroom, in the hallway? What does mm. it look like at home? Mm -hmm. You know, what does it look like in your community? And what they began to understand as they started listing all of those kind of things is that they all look pretty much the same. Um, and so we created a set of what we knew were above the line behaviors versus the below the line behaviors. And then we would talk about, well, if values create behaviors, behaviors done on an ongoing basis create habits. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately habits determine our outcome. And, and so, you know, you get them to buy into the idea that there's a, there's a flow there that allows that outcome to become a natural consequence of doing the right kinds of things on an ongoing basis. Um, I do want to speak to something that Chris was talking about in terms of the buy-in. One of the ways I think about it is I think about the you know, traditional bell curve and you have you know, the kids at the front end of that bell curve, you know, kind of your A students, your, your, your really good students are the, are the kids who have already bought in very naturally. And then the other end of that bell curve 
is you know the kids who are fighting us for whatever the reasons and uh, so when I think of it I think of well how do I get buy-in here and the answer to that question is that I need to get that first part of the curve when it starts up away from the bottom of it mm -hmm. those are the kids I need to get right because followers do what followers do they follow and so if I can get enough people leading then you know the possibilities of getting those other kids to follow becomes heightened Mm -hmm. um, so the process is very much the same as, as what Chris is using at, at Ohio State. I just suspected that I needed to do it at a more directed level because I was dealing with younger kids who take longer to process information. Yeah. You know, and I think uh, regardless of whether you're teaching in high school or college level, I mean, we're all working with students who have have grown up in, in the, the era of instant gratification. And obviously, you know, band students are a little bit different in that they understand the value of, of putting the work in and so on and so forth. But there still is that cultural sort of difference. And so, you know, particularly when you're trying to to engage your student leaders or Gary, you know, that, that part of that curve you're just talking about, you know, what are some strategies or what are some things that you do or have done to help get that buy-in, especially from some, from a student who may have not really experienced what it is to have that delayed gratification sort of understanding that the process is what gets us the results and the outcomes that we want to have down the road. Uh, well, to get the initial buy-in, a part of it is building relationships. Um, John has heard me tell the story quite often that, um, one of the first things I would do in the morning when I got to school was I would read the newspaper because I knew every kid in my program that played a sport. I knew every kid in my program that took dance lessons or, you know, whatever it is that they were doing, right? So I would read the paper so that when that student walked into my classroom, the first thing I would say to them was, hey, you know, great game last night, or, you know, I saw that you, you had a PR or something that valued them as a human being outside of the band world so that they didn't think that the only thing I was worried about was were they, were they going to be a good band member. Um, for the kid that's not going to show up in the newspaper, <clears throat> finding the thing that they value and then being able to talk to them about it. And, and one of my favorite stories is about a student that was really, we were really struggling trying to find a way to, to grab onto him. And we found out that he was really good at a particular video game. And so we just kind of went around the, the bend, so to speak, and, and got kids to ask him about, you know, that video, that particular video game and, you know, how do you get past this level? And all of a sudden, this kid who never really interacted with anybody in band opened up because that's, that was his world. You know, he loved that video game. And so he starts talking about the video game, and he began to feel valued by his peers. And the more valued he became, he felt, then the more he came in line with what we were, we were trying to do. Um, the instant gratification part, um, I think, you know, that's, that's just a long haul. Um, but, because we talk mostly about process, I never talked about getting a one, for example, at adjudications. I didn't talk about winning first place at contests. Um, I talked about the growth factor in what we were doing. Were we better today than what we were yesterday? And, and how you build on top of that. And I kept re reinforcing the fact that, that success is a natural outcome mm -hmm. of doing those things. It doesn't work the opposite way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I totally. Yeah. I was going to say I totally agree with that. It's important. Uh, it, it's it's um, it's impossible to um, to get a student to value what you're telling them to value. It's impossible to get them to buy into what you're selling if you don't value what they value. 
Um, so, so, so finding some common ground, finding that connection is, is really important. So around here at the university level, you know, it's, it's a matter of uh, this is the same thing that, you, that you're talking about with high school or middle school kids, uh, whether it's a video game. Um, I, yeah, I, for, for goodness sake, I even remember bonding with some students this summer over, over the new Legend of Zelda game, of all things, you know. Um, something that I had seen that I had experienced and something that they had experienced so we could have a conversation about it. Who knew, right? Um, but it's, you know, going to their, going to their concerts here at the, here at the university, if they're in the concert band or, you know, asking them how the, how the game went, if they're playing a, playing a sport or, or whatever it happens to be, making sure that that connection and getting to know them is, is, is really important. And it goes a long way. You know, that kid that, that no matter what you do, you know, you're constantly having to discipline them for something. You constantly have to get on them because they're not paying attention to class, whatever it ha happens to be. If you can connect on a totally different level, maybe they will listen to you the next next time around. Yeah. So I, I couldn't agree with more with what uh, with what Gary was saying. I think it's really important. One you of know, the things I used to say all the time was when I'm trying to get my student leaders to get other kids to buy in, you know, and we have a tendency. Um, the example I use is if they were standing on the lake on one side of the lake and this other person was on the other side of the lake, they can stand there and yell for that kid to come over all they want to. The easiest way to get them is to get in the boat, row over to where they are, pick them up, and bring them back. You know, and so finding, like, like Chris said, finding what that person values, mm -hmm. going there, meeting them there, and then being able to walk back with him or her to where it is that we're going. Yeah, you know, and I think it's important, especially when we're talking about the student leadership aspect of of all this. You know, it's, it's important to make sure they feel supported in, in all this, too, because as we all know, peer leadership is probably the hardest type of leadership that you can do, especially at the college or even high school level, because it's, there's there's the social capital of that as well. You know, and there's there, there's always that conundrum of the person who wants to do the right thing, but also doesn't want to rock this relationship here. You know, and what I've been finding um, is that when I when I work with students and student leadership groups about this very topic, topic, uh, one of the things I, I, I bring to them is that this actually makes those those confrontational sort of things uh, easier to do because it's not about me, my opinion versus your opinion. It's about this, hey, we agree that this is our value. I'm having a hard time reconciling what I'm seeing you doing, decision you're making with that. Can you help me understand that as opposed to shame on you? You're not, you know, you need to follow the rules kind of thing too, you know? So can you maybe share some stories about you know, when you've you dealt with uh, maybe a similar kind of conflict with a student or where, you, where you've had, had, had that conversation and uh, for someone who might think about, well, what, what would that conversation look like in that situation? Well, let me, let me start by answering it this way. Um, those conversations were happening a lot um, to the point where, Squad leaders would come to us and say, well, for this, this particular situation, this issue happened. We had a student who committed, committed this behavior. For example, you know, we had, we had a situ situation in our sousaphone section where um, they were asking their first years on one day a week to, to wear spats over their shoes just for fun. Now, is that a hazing behavior? Is it not? <laughs> are they are they being forced to do it because they're first years you know this this was a question that, that came up and the thing is yeah we could go through the whole process of deciding whether that violates a hazing policy or whether that violates a rule or a policy or something that we have but when we when we put it in the context of the culture it answers the question immediately 
So is that showing extraordinary respect to your first year students? Well, that's an easy no, it's not. So, okay, we're not gonna do it. It doesn't fit the culture of, of what, we're, what we're trying to do. Um, the same thing if you, you know, you've got somebody who, who feels that they're entitled to a second meal at lunchtime or something like that, goes through the line uh, again and before everybody else is done and they say, well, you know, I was, I was hungry, whatever. And, you know, fine, maybe there's plenty. We knew there was going to be more food. So it was, it was fine. Yeah. But is that showing an attitude of gratitude for what you already had by going and getting more before the, before the rest of the group was done? And so when we put it, you know, it's, there's not a policy that specifically forbids that, but when we put it in the context of the culture that we are trying to show, that's where we can, we can determine what, what some of these behaviors are and, and uh, if we need to do something about it. So what we've learned over the years and, and what most of many of these, uh, these people that teach leadership um, have, have taught us and will teach people is that um, policy has to be driven by culture and not vice versa. You can't create policy without any values backing it up. You can create a rule for everything under the sun and there's always gonna come, be something that comes up that's not in your rule book, that's not in your policy book, and it's, you know, you could have a 200-page document and, and not be able to cover it all. But the question is, does it fit the cultural values that you have, that you expect from your program, from your staff, from your students? And if the answer to that is no, then we don't do that. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with Chris there. We found in our programs that because the kids were involved in coming up with those three core values and coming up with what were above the line behaviors and below the line behaviors, that eventually the kids almost became self-monitoring mm -hmm. because all you had to say in, in, to someone in your section if they were doing something that was below the line was, is that above the line or below the line? And they knew the answer to the question because they helped create the line. Mm -hmm. And because that, they, they were able to adjust and, and you know, change their behavior. Um, the other thing that I try to get my, my students to understand is that it's easier to inspire somebody to do something than it is to require them to. Um, you know, and so finding ways, you know, finding creative ways to engage you know, that disengaged student over the long haul is much more effective than requiring him to do it like the spats thing. You know, I, I, yeah, I can require you to do that, right? But in the long run, is that, is that a positive? Probably not. But if I can inspire you to do it because they think it's cool as part of the tradition, you know, and, and as I was thinking about talking with Chris today, you know, at the collegiate level, that's, that's something that's really powerful is the tradition of the program over time. Um, that doesn't exist quite so much, I don't think, at the, at the public school level, but uh, somewhat, perhaps. But I know that, you know, I know the aura of the Ohio State marching band. You know, so there is, there is definitely a tradition there that if I come into that program, I know I have to be a part of that tradition. Yeah, yeah. and there, there, there certainly are high school programs. I talk to high school groups around, you know, around us all the time that do have that tradition of excellence and do have that expectation set up for their programs. But as you said, Gary, there are plenty that don't um, that are trying to build that. And not, the, the cool thing about what we're talking about here, about building culture first, is that it, it can be used to maintain great tradition that already exists mm -hmm. and improve upon that tradition that already exists, but it can also be used to put the tradition in place that you want future generations to have. So you can establish and build that tradition um, from, from the very beginning. Yeah, you know, the programs that I've run across that, that look at what 
I did and what you do in your program and say, well, no, you know, that's, that'll take too long for that to happen to build that culture or whatever. Um, you know, what they don't understand is that once it's created, it's, it's pretty lasting, you know, it, it pretty much stays, you know, by itself and you can almost walk away from it and, and, you know, it'll, it'll just keep going by itself because you've built that in to the process. Um, so it really is, I think a, a way more effective way to approach what we do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, you, when we, we hear all these things, I, I, I can I can envision somebody who's watching this, uh, um, you know, just to kind of get some information. And I, I think about myself, my, my first job, you know, a teaching job where I walked into a situation where, you know, the culture was dysfunctional and there was just a lot of stuff. And, the, and if there was anything that was valued, it was exactly the opposite things that I thought were to be valued, you know. So in speaking to those people who are watching tonight, who might say, well, yeah, you know, the Ohio State Marching Band, they get the best of the best. And, you know, and, and Gary taught for years. He was able to build that over a long period of time. But I got to figure it out right now. I'm in my first year of teaching or I'm in my first couple of years of teaching my gosh, I'm just like, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, you might find me in a fetal position crying on the floor some days, you know, because of what I'm dealing with. Right. You know, so, so what, what encouragement, what advice can you give to those people who are just, who are kind of looking at these things as, as almost an impossible mountain to, uh, to overcome and, and what, what can you offer them to help them with, with just perspective on that? First of all, have patience. It takes time. Um, this is not something, uh, you know, building and establishing a culture is not something you're going to do overnight in, in one week or with one meeting. We, we, we decided, we determined what we wanted to be um, in, that, in that one meeting. And then in subsequent meetings after that, we determined what the culture was. We established our cultural blueprint, those three core values, um, through discussions with our students. And from that, we, we established policy, as, as I mentioned, the policy that flowed from that culture. But understand that um, not everybody bought in right away, even though they said, hey, I want to be the most respectful person I can be towards my community. I want to give back to my community, show an attitude of gratitude. When push came to shove and when, when um, we, we actually got going, people were going to make mistakes. So it's a matter, we talk about accountability. It's a, it's a matter of holding people accountable to the, to the culture that you established, to the culture that you all agree, agreed upon, and reminding, reminding the students, reminding your staff, reminding volunteers that work around your program that this is what we all agreed to. And for you to be here, you agreed to this as well. And so if, if you're not going to abide by that, then we need to, we need to manage that in, in some way. Um, Gary talked um, uh, quite a while ago about um, outcomes-based thing, about understanding what the outcomes are that you want to achieve, and you talked about above the line and below the line behaviors, and one of the other things that, that, uh, that's discussed in that whole process is you have control over the outcomes in many cases that you want to achieve. Events happen in life. There are things that, that take place. There are things that, that go on in, in, uh, in band, in everyday life. And, in football or whatever it happens to be, there are things that are going to occur that you have no control over. It's how you respond to those that lead to the outcomes that that uh, that happen. And if you want to have control over the outcomes, you have to have control over the responses. And so we talk about this. You cannot have positive outcomes, good outcomes, strong outcomes with below-the-line behaviors. You have to have above-the-line behaviors if you're going to control the outcomes and get to the get get to where you want to be. So it's a ma matter of Stepping back from that, thinking about um, where you want to be, 
And sometimes it, it's, it's through mistakes, through those errors in judgment that we, that, that we get through to the other side better than, than when we started. Hope, hope if, that, if that makes any sense. Um, we, we sometimes have to learn from those mistakes. So it, it may be a matter of taking that student who screwed up, sitting down with them and saying, okay, what outcome do we really want here? What, where are we trying to get to? Um, and is that outcome in line with our culture? Is that what we believe in? And leading that student, leading that person to that, to that place. Okay, now that we've established the outcome, okay, how do we get there? What do we do? What are the responses that we want to come up with um, that, that are going to lead us to that point? Um, and then again, holding them accountable for those for those things that uh, that are going to get them to that point. You know, a lot of what Chris was talking about uh, comes down to self-reflection and self-awareness. Um, and I think that that's something that, that young people, uh, it's a skill that young people don't necessarily have. Um, and it's, it's, I think, our, our jobs as educators to help them learn how to do that. And, you know, we can do it in the rehearsal just by, rather than me telling them that they're not in tune, you know, having them reflect on what they just heard and whether they thought it was sharp or flat and make the adjustment or whatever, so that they're taking part in that growth and development um, as opposed to me just telling them that, that they're there. Um, so I like the fact that Chris talked about, you know, being reflective and, and looking at something and saying, well, is that, you know, is that part of our core values and is that something we should be doing or how should I change it? Uh, going back to your question, John, uh, for those people who don't who are, don't have a culture right now that is very strong and they're looking to be able to change it. Uh, the first thing I would say to them um, is that they need to contact people like like Chris uh, or yourself, or I'll put in a shameless plug for who we are as LCL, um, people like us that have the experience base, that have the knowledge, that can help them develop the systems that they need to be able to do that. Because if you look at the, the, the spectrum of learning, you know, um, we have the outcome on the one end. We have the we have you know the value system at the beginning of it, you know, and that how in the middle of it. Those are the systems. If you don't have systems in place that allow you to be successful, you can't get from point A to point C. You know, uh, it's just going to fall apart. So uh, helping them develop systems that will allow for that growth and development of their program and over their students, I think, is really critical. Yeah, you know, and I mean, that's, it gets to the heart of what LCL is about, I think, too, is, you know, we're trying to fill those gaps that you're just not going to learn. You, yeah, well, you're going to learn it one of two ways, either or three ways. Either you are, are fortunate enough to be working in a situation with a mentor, teacher, who you can just learn from, maybe as an assistant director, uh, you're going to learn it the hard way from the mistakes you're going to make and just the trial and error and, and go through that, or you're going to learn it from having somebody that's that's mentoring you and providing those things too. So uh, shameless plug as it is, I think it's an important thing to, to talk about that because you know, uh, everybody needs that. You're, you know, everybody needs the lesson. They need to learn how to do all the things. Um, it's just how you, you're getting to choose how you're going to do it. You know, what's the, the right. methodology on that, the, the hard way or the the, the informed way too. So, you know, that all this, then this has, this has 
the power to be transformative, doesn't it? You know, for for a program uh, certainly, uh, for an individual in in your in your program as well. Uh, I'm I'm interested to hear maybe share a couple of stories about how implementing this approach, how you've seen it transform your program, and maybe maybe even share a story with, with, uh, about a, an interaction you had with a student that that made an impact on them, not just for the here and now, but that, that you felt like, man, this is going to stick with them for the rest of their life. This this made them a better version of themselves in this particular way. I think we see that um, all the time. I mentioned learning through learning through your mistakes. Um, I you know I had a I had a student uh, in the band. This was probably I want to say about five or six years ago, um, who you know believed that some of the old traditions of of the band that were not in line with our culture should be continued, and that we should well it's tradition is what we always did, so we should be continuing these things. Um, and, you know, after much going around and around and then sometimes having to having to lay down the law and say, okay, you know, yes, we understand the culture thing, but you're not getting it. And there is, there are consequences for behaviors and having to go through some of those things as well. Um, we, we were in a bowl game one time and some of those exact same behaviors um, that, that this student was advocating for years before that we have to continue because this is the tradition of the band um, were being exhibited in another organization that we encountered on, on our, our bull trip. And he, th this, this student in particular looked at, looked at what was going on, some of these other behaviors, how they're treating people, how they're, how they're acting in, in, in public. Um, it looked at me and finally said, Dr. Hoke, I get it now. Um, and it's, Having the having those moments where a kid can come back to you and say that, even even if 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 a student is um, even if a student is a quote unquote problem child or something, there you know that they that they can come back and and understand having learned having been through that experience is is certainly really rewarding. Um, you know you 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 see these you see these all the time. You see students that come into your program as as wide eyed freshmen. Um, that that just will absorb everything that's coming at them. So you want to make sure that the things that are coming at them um, are coming at them from the best possible source. So it all begins with uh, with student leadership. Um, I know that that was that was talked about um, a, a while ago. So making sure that those those student leaders are on board with what with what you're doing. Um, I have had, you know, you asked for stories about about how this how this is successful. I've had squad leaders in in the program um, go out into every walk of life and come back and, and and tell me stories about how you know in their own business in their own job they were asked to be a part of a culture reassessment um, where they were able to say, hey, here's how we did it in band, <laughs> um, and it, it applies not just to band but it applies to life in general. Um, showing extraordinary respect is better than the alternative, hopefully, in, you know, in life in general. So to have students come back from actually um, being in the real world and, and doing all of the jobs that they have, have prepared for during their college careers um, and, and having them say, hey, band, help me in this way uh, is, is certainly rewarding as well. You know, one of the transformative uh, situations that you didn't speak to, John, was the transformation of the teacher themselves, um, mm -hmm. and, I, and I'll use myself as an example. Uh, you know, when you, when I came out of college, uh, 
you know, and I looked at the world, the, the band world, I looked at it the way my high school band director looked at it, because um, that was my experience base. And, um, and so I started teaching, and I was very outcome-oriented. It was about things like winning the trophies at the marching contest. It was about getting superior ratings. It was about being state champions, those kinds of things. And I had a good band, and we did some of those things, but it wasn't sustainable. And, and it, was, it, was, it was beating up kids, trying to get them to get there. Um, and then I began to, to, to reach out to some of my peers who had good programs and watch their programs and ask them questions and do things uh, like that in my own program. And as I matured as an educator and began to understand that I had it backwards, um, that I needed to start from the other end of that spectrum um, and, and deal with the kids first and make sure that I was taking care of them and helping them to grow and to develop that, um, that, that, that the natural consequence, that would be what I was looking for all along. And interestingly enough, my band got way better um, because I, I, I transformed. Um, I, I came to the conclusion one time that, you know, when we start, um, if, if the band's got a really bad attitude, you call somebody like Dr. Tim or, or Fran Kick or somebody, you know, and you bring them in and you say, okay, well, I want you to fix my kids. You know, or if the drum line's not you know, doing a very good job, you hire somebody to come in, I, I want to you know, fix my kids. And it didn't take me real long to figure out that I was really bringing those people in because I was the one that needed fixed. <laughs> I, wasn't, I was the one who wasn't capable at the beginning of understanding what my students needed and how to get them uh, the things they needed. Um, I was the one who didn't understand the percussion realm the way I needed to. You know, so uh, it transformed me. It made me from, I think, a pretty good educator at the beginning to a much better educator by the time I was done. Um, and it was through all of those mistakes, you know, that Chris was talking about, um, that that I was able to do that. Um, and and I used to tell my kids in my band program all the time, don't be afraid of making mistakes. In fact, our our, our saying was, if you're going to suck, suck really well. Um, you know, just go for it. If you miss it, if you miss it. Okay, so we know not not to do it that way. We'll learn from that. And we'll get better. You know, as opposed to punishing them because they made some kind of mistake. So. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I was fortunate enough here at Ohio State when I when I got this job um, that uh, the the university set us up for success. And I, I had for a couple of years in, in the beginning of my time in this position of a leadership coach by the name of Tim Kite, who was also um, one of the fellows that worked with Urban Meyer. Um, you mentioned his book. Right. So some of the things that I'm talking about here are stuff that's right out of that because we had the same leadership coach because this um, this gentleman, you know, helped me out. So I, that you talk about transforming yourself first. That's absolutely what happened here. Um, the cultural blueprint, um, the, uh, you know, some of the other stuff that I'm talking about are not my original ideas. Right. These are things that were taught to me and things that worked, you know, <laughs> you pick and choose from those, from those things that are presented to you and, and find the things that work for you and, and your program. One of the things that, that Tim said to me um, early on when I was when I was meeting with him is you know you can't have you can't have your culture firmly established without without your student leadership being in there that part of the bell curve those those kids who who you have selected to be to to guide the others to pull them along those people that can be pulled along you need you need student leaders to do that and he asked me what do you expect your student leaders to know. And at the time, I couldn't answer it. 
So I needed to learn that myself. What do, what is it that, that student leaders should know? So now we, you know, there's a whole series, a whole program that we go over with our student leaders um, that I call the six B's of leadership. You have to be the example. You have to be accountable. You have to be encouraging. You have to be uh, empathetic. You have to be a great teacher. Um, and you have to be a steward of the program. And we go over these and what these what these mean. And so those those students then can take that information and they can pull, you know, pass that on and pull other people. And it's an ongoing process. Once it's established, you're absolutely right. It persists. And, uh, you know, our every every incoming group of student leaders knows that they're going to get the six B's of leadership at every um, at every leadership retreat. They know what to expect and they know how to carry that on. In fact, I don't teach that anymore. The student leaders from the previous year teach that to the, to the incoming people. So, you know, I worked with my leadership coach to, to come up with that process, and now it's cool to see, you know, our own student leaders that are carrying on that tradition and, and are teaching others. Yeah, it's uh, one of the, I think the most rewarding things about being a band director is when you get to step back and watch the machinery work, whether it's, you know, a show that you design, but I think even more when you get to step back and you watch how your students interact with each other and with the, with this, you know, the culture of the world around them and whatnot. And, you know, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm both of you gentlemen that have, have spoken at, at great length about the pride that you have in your students and in, in, in doing that too, you know, uh, and it's great to hear that, you know, you've got the, your, your six B's and that to hear that it's become just as traditional as script Ohio and hang on sloopy and everything you know that's that's part of that too but but it's important to, to know that you know um one of your colleagues uh, chris and big 10 uh, uh greg drain he talked at penn state he talks a lot about you know the difference between legacy and tradition you know and the importance of understanding that you know the, what that difference is and i think we're really we're really talking about that in a lot of ways that 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 legacy becomes much more important of whatever tradition that has come into to create that too so you know as we as we get into the final minutes of our time tonight first off thank you loved hearing these these stories and the background of things that are coming through with us too so maybe let's wrap it up and um if you have any you know, guidance, any resources, anything that you can share with our audience about, you know, if they, if they want to know more about this or kind of digging into uh, this idea of building a cultural blueprint and all that stuff too, you know, what are, what are some things that you can point them to or some examples that they can look at uh, to, to find out information if they are isolated and unable to get help from anywhere else? I know, Larry, you've already talked about LCL, so that's a great resource in and of itself, but other things that might exist out in the world for them. I think um, just search and find what other what other programs are doing. When you're talking about specific um, things related to band, uh, I think find those programs that you respect. Find the programs that you you look at and at least seem to be doing things the right way. Reach out to those to those teachers, the, the people that have been doing it, and uh, find out find out the details of what they do. Don't be don't be shy about uh, about picking people's brains. Um, you know, certainly, you know, I, I have given many presentations on on this stuff, but it's it's stuff that I had to reach out and find myself. I mentioned, you know, I mentioned Tim Kite being my um, being there for me um, for a couple of years um, to be able to give me this advice and and help me put put my plan into action uh, with with my students. So people are great resources uh, for you know for this kind of thing. Obviously, feel free to reach out to. Um, 
to myself or people, um, you know, people that who, who who do a great job with their with their programs. You mentioned Greg Drain. He he was just here. Uh, we, we just uh, played our game against Penn State last weekend, so he, he brought the band over. Blue Band is great as always, and 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 he's a great guy. And it's actually funny. He was giving a presentation at CBDNA uh, in I can't remember if it was last year or the year before um, at the Athletic Band Symposium, but talking about the culture that he's established with uh, with the Penn State Band, and they they have a tradition of performance excellence. Um, mm-hmm. They have I think he calls it remarkable respect, mm-hmm. um, and I forget what his third thing was, but it was like yeah yeah man you know this <laughs> this this stuff is uh, working its way through the Big Ten, which is great. Yeah. So. Um, it, it goes to show you, you know, it doesn't have to just work at one place. It can, you know, we, we're all happy to share information because I think the cool thing about our profession is that we are so able to share. And I think, um, you know, we want to help each other out. Um, I think it, at least, at least amongst my colleagues in the big 10, it's really cool. It's really exciting to work with, with those people and to, to share ideas and, and help all of our programs grow because of the community that we have. And the same thing, um, you know, the same thing can be said of public school, private school band directors as well. That community is always there. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and uh, that certainly that is the starting point is to reach out to people who are doing what it is that we want to do uh, with our programs. The other thing is, uh, I find it hard to narrow it down to one thing uh, because I, I read voraciously uh, all these books behind me. So I have, I used to tell my students I'm the greatest thief in the world because I steal ideas from everything. I, you know, I stole ideas from Urban Meyer. I stole ideas from, you know, Coach K at Duke. I stole ideas from Coach Wooden. I stole ideas from business people. You know, I read their books. Interestingly, I have the habit of reading the book. And if the person that wrote it is still alive, I contact them. Mm-hmm. And and I try to then pick their brain or, or ask them questions about things that I had questions about, you know, uh, from reading their materials. So there's lots of resources out there. Um, I'm going to put in another plug here for Tim. Tim's got all kinds of resources uh, at Marching Arts Education that that you know people can can look to to get some idea of how other people are doing it, uh, so that they can you know they can adjust the way they're doing things to craft things the way they want it to be. Yep. Yep. You know, it's that really it comes down to that, that network and that personal connection that that we get to make with each other. You know, and so if you're if you're a, a, a band director that's out there and you're just you're, you feel like you're struggling, and I'm I'm talking to those those people, especially in their first year your years, you're just feeling overwhelmed. Two things. Number one, you only have to do your first year once. After that, it'll never be your first year again. Okay. And the second thing is just just know that there are people out there. So if you you don't know where to start, um, let LCL Mentors help you out. You can go to lclmentors.com. Um, there's easy ways to find to contact us and get some information. It uh, doesn't matter what your resources are. Uh, we just we're we're passionate people who just who just want to make music educators and therefore the students you teach the best possible because we just believe in this uh, in this field and we believe in the power of music education the importance of music education and we believe in teachers and we want you to be successful there too and so uh, whether it's, it's it has to do with culture other things uh, you know teaching pedagogy there there are people that here that are that are help ready to help you out with that too so again if you don't know where to start don't really have uh, uh, resources uh, at hand uh that's certainly one that you can start with and we'd be happy to help you out and to and be be that friendly helpful advice when you need it the most so 
Uh, with that, we'll wrap things up. Uh, Gary, uh, Chris, thank you so much for tonight. Uh, it's always a pleasure to learn and sit with you and chat with you. And and Tim, thank you for uh, hosting us and allowing us the the, the platform. And uh, I'll, I'll agree with Gary. There's just so much content on on marching arts education. Uh, I know some people say, well, it's just marching arts, but there's just more than that. You know, there's all kinds of things that go into that. I, I think probably any situation that you can think of, there's something that's applicable in the in the resources that you have. And so I appreciate you being a curator of that and just getting us in contact and making this available for us. So thank you again. Of course. Now, what a wonderful conversation this was. Thank you, Gary and John, both for mentioning our resources here at Marshall Education, You're of welcome. course, for sharing your expertise. Chris, what I want to say to you is, but you did one of those things tonight that I think is really amazing that happens from time to time when we have these webinars or conversations is that you took something that I think is incredibly intimidating and scary, like trying, how am I going to get my kids to act the right way? And you made it sound so simple. You mean that the idea of, I mean, that, and I'm just sort of reiterating here, but the idea of, okay, here's our core value, this and this, and then all you do is refer to that. Like that is so simple but incredibly powerful. And like, I think if I was, you know, as a band director, I'm like, well, that would, that would calm me down because that's not, it's not as complicated as we want it to be. You know what I'm saying, Chris, right? No, I do. I, I totally understand. I mean, when, when you're looking at a, a situation where you, you have things going on in your program that you don't want to be there, it can be, it can be daunting. It can be scary to look at that and say, how do I change this? How do I, how do I create the create the program that I want? How do I create the culture that I want? And um, yeah, you have to yeah, you have to simplify things um, to be able to handle it on a daily basis. And that's that's just what what's worked for us. So I'm glad you said that. Thank you. No, I think it's, it's so to me that's like so comforting. It just calmed me down. Even just sitting here listening in the background, you know, I was like, I wish I had known that all those years ago when I was first starting teaching because I had all kinds of things happening that I didn't know what to do. You know, and, and the idea that you could just refer, no, no, does this match what we all agreed to? It's over. Like that's, uh, I just love, love, love that. So thank you for sharing that concept and everything else you did. Find many other conversations about building the culture and values of your program at both the Marching Roundtable podcast and at marchingartseducation.com. Just put the word culture into the search bar to find hours of helpful conversations on this topic. Thanks again to the sponsor of this podcast, LCL Mentors, found at lclmentors.com. This is your host, Tim Hinton, the Beast of the Marching Arts. Find out more about me and my services at beastofthemarchingarts.com. And check out my new paranormally-themed bed and breakfast, The Phantom History House. See videos and pictures and book your stay at phantomhistoryhouse.com. If you're a business that works with band directors, marching bands, color guards, or drum lines, you should sponsor podcasts at the Marching Roundtable. Our listeners are the exact audience you're trying to reach, and with thousands of podcast downloads each month, it's a great way to directly reach your target audience. For more information, click on the Sponsorship Opportunities link at marchingroundtable.com or email Tim at tim at marchingroundtable.com. You can grow your business and help support what we're doing here on the podcast.